Well, I don't know how many of you can remember the morning, but I, for one, was having a slow one. I remember grabbing some cereal and turning on the radio to listen yeah, the radio uh, to listen uh, to music as I was getting ready for my day. But it was interesting. This was my pattern, and there was a strange voice on the radio. A guy that kind of sounded like not your local DJ, if y'all know what DJs are, but um, a, but like a regional guy. Like this guy sounded important. It just sounded important, and his tone was a mix between shock and sadness. It was between incredulity and ignorance. And as he spoke, here it is, he told the news of the first of the Twin Towers going down in New York City. Moments later, he spoke of the second one going down, too. And as I sat there listening, having since turned on my TV, I remember thinking this, that this news is big and everything is going to be different now. I don't know where you were. Some of y'all, if you're freshmen, you were probably four or five years old when this happened. And I have, I have two four-year-olds right now, so I can't, rema- I can't imagine them understanding the significance of that event, uh, it, something that would be that large. But I just want to tell you this. That you can begin to imagine that something earth-shattering like that has happened and how it's drastically affected your life. If it's not 9-11, think about this. Some of you are at your first week at TCU. And you remember last spring or last fall getting a letter. And what did the letter say? You've been accepted. And you knew things were going to be different, right? Others of you have heard this sort of news. Your girlfriend has told you this about your boyfriend. Oh my gosh. He called me and he was asking me about your ring size. Right? Something's about to go down. Okay, news is big deal, right? Your life is about to be forever changed. And some of you have heard bad news too, and you know it's significant. Some of you know this story like I do, where you hear these words, your father and I are no longer going to be married. Big news, sad news, but news that changes everything, right? You see, whatever it is, whether it's bad or whether it's good, we all know the implication of big events in our lives. They bother causing us to adjust to the new current that they create, right? And of course, not all news is like this, but some news most certainly is. And I want to tell you all this, that tonight we have just read Paul's opening letters to the Romans. And his burden in this text is to tell us something earth-shattering. And it is something that when taken in, it acts like dynamite. It acts like dynamite and it propels people into new life and to new love. And I just want to say this. What is, what is this empowering thing? What is it? And Paul calls it one thing. It is the gospel. It's the gospel. Now, it's, here's what I want, you to, I want you to understand. If this, what we're going to say, if, we're, if you're going to experience new life, if you are going to be someone that is actually changed from the inside out, if you want to see all areas of your life changed, the gospel is something that you need. And here's the thing. Most of us begin to tune out when we hear the word gospel because if you've grown up anywhere around the church, And I'm not assuming that everybody has. But if you have, that is a very religious-sounding and loaded word. 
And what I want you to see tonight is that Paul wants to tell us something about what it is. So I hope you will have fresh ears as we look at this tonight. So we're going to look, first of all, at what the gospel is. Secondly, what the gospel is about. And then thirdly, what the gospel does. Let's take a look. What the gospel is first. Well, first of all, I just want to say this. That the gospel is news. That the gospel is news. You see... When Paul uses this word gospel here in verse 16, the actual word for it is a Greek word that means a message or a report. Now, we didn't have a way of doing this back then. It's not like people got news out by having a a Twitter feed or an Instagram feed to say what all was happening. Instead, you had messengers. And these messengers were called angeloi. You can hear our word angels in there, right? Angels being messengers that tell of news. And so if you wanted to know what was happening in Fort Worth, you would have had a messenger come into town. They would have said, blah, 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 you know, and reported the news. And the idea is, is that when you hear the word gospel, I need for you to begin to think in the context of news, of news. And what that means is, therefore, is this, is that the gospel itself was not a religious sounding word like we hear it today. Paul meant that it it carried the idea, and here's what it meant. It carried the idea, it was news about a new emperor or a new king coming to power that had implications in your life. Think about it like this. You're about to go into the month of November where there'll be a major presidential election. And regardless of who wins, it will have a bearing on your life. The idea was, is that that's the sort of news that it was. So the gospel simply is news. The gospel is simply news. It's a report of history. It's a report of something that has happened, right? When you turn on the news at 6 o'clock or 10 o'clock, you turn it on and what's being reported? The events of the day, right? I mean, so-and-so, the Rangers won, the Rangers lost, here's the weather, here's what's happening over in Dallas or whatever else. It is about facts that have happened in history. And what Paul wants you to understand before you understand anything else is that the gospel itself is news. Now, why is that important? Because of this. Because the gospel, if it is primarily news, is not advice. It is not advice. And many of us sort of think that what Christianity is all about is us following some sort of set of, some sort of set of code or advice. And what I want you to begin to see tonight is, is that the gospel is news, and therefore because it is news, it is declarations about what has happened as opposed to advice, which are suggestions about what to do. To put simply... The gospel, y'all, is, it, the gospel is not advice about what to do. It is rather news about what has happened. Let me see if I can press this in on you a little bit. Imagine one day you wake up and you knew the night before that the uh, lottery tickets for, uh, that, that, that there was a lottery giveaway for a billion dollars, the greatest one ever, okay? And you bought a ticket and you, 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 open, you turn on the uh, television in the morning to sort of, you know, watch, figure out what the numbers were. And they've said, there's a winner. <clears throat> one winner only that has the sole right to $1 billion. And the numbers are up on the TV and you're like, man, that's, that's great. And you roll over your jeans from the night before 
you reach out in your pocket and you pull out the ticket that you were holding, that you bought earlier in the day, and you begin to notice that the numbers on the screen begin to match your numbers. Now, here's the deal. The news that there was a winner is news. But the fact that you're the winner is, the, is as it were, is gospel. Because it is news that has a bearing on your life. Do you see that? It's not like the, your life just got forever changed. I mean, if I gave you $1 billion, your life would be changed today and would it be changed tomorrow? Would it be changed 10 years from now if you manage that money well? Absolutely. Would, it, would, would your kids' lives be changed? Absolutely. And they would be changed, for the most part, for the better. That's what Paul is trying to get across when he talks about the gospel. Why is this so important? Because of this. Because the more I do campus ministry, the more I begin to resonate with one of my, one of my fellow campus ministers. He says this. He says he loves to sit down with students who basically have, have come to him and they say, hey, listen, my life's kind of falling apart again. I grew up in high school or I was home over the summer and I was really involved with my youth group and I sort of grew up around the church. But you know, man, I've kind of slipped up a lot lately and I need some, I need some help. And, um, and, and, and the campus minister, and I've done this several times too, I say, well, well, just tell me a little bit about what you think it means to be a Christian. And they say, and you may say this, they say, well, you know, it's about, I mean, I'm trying to love my, my roommates, and, you know, I'm trying to read my Bible, I'm trying to go to church, and, you know, like, uh, I go to this thing called RUF every once in a while. And, uh, and what's interesting is that I have to look at students, and I have to say this, here's the thing, I think your greatest problem is that you have no understanding about what Christianity is. I don't think you understand what the gospel is all about. Because you just listed off to me what Christians do, and you couldn't even hear the question that I said, what does it mean to be a Christian? And don't you understand that what lies at the heart of Christianity is not a list of stuff to go do, but rather something that has been done for you. Something that has happened in real time and space that has, been, that has a benefit on your life. Do you begin to sense the difference there? That's one thing that Paul wants you to understand. If you don't see that, nothing about Christianity will ever make sense to you. You'll always be tired. You'll always be worn out. You'll always feel like a failure. You'll always feel like, can you just come give me another kick in the pants so that I can finally just get on with the Christian life? And what I want you to begin to see tonight, if that's what your understanding of Christianity is, I dare say, I say this gently, if you think Christianity is about some sort of moral code that you have to follow, I say this gently, you don't understand what Christianity is about. And that's sobering. Paul starts his letter right here. Isn't that crazy? But he does tell us what the gospel's about. It's not just news. It's news about something. And our text tells us as well, which leads me to my second point, the idea of what the gospel is all about. Well, Paul tells us there in verse 17. Did you see it? He writes it when he says this, For in it, uh, that is, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed... From faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Here is what he wants us to see. He wants us to see that the gospel, that the news, reveals the righteousness of God. And that revealing, that, that showing that, that pulling back the veil on, 
and demonstrating the righteousness of God is incredibly good news. Now you may go, that's wonderful, Ryan, but what the heck is the righteousness of God? You see, unless you understand what that is, it's not good news, which is exactly, by the way, what a man named Martin Luther found many, many years ago. Martin Luther thought that the righteousness of God meant God's holy righteousness and his judgment against all sort of sin. And what he began to say was, Luther said this, he said, I would go to prayer, I would beat myself up in confession because I thought God was so displeased with me because he was angry at me. Because when I read the righteousness of God, that is God pointing the finger down and condemning sin. Now, the reality is that God does that. But it's, a, it's interesting how it happens, which is what we're going to look at. But when Luther began to see that the righteousness of God is actually God's right standing given to us, everything began to change. In fact, Luther himself said this, when I saw that, it was like the doors of paradise were opened up unto me. And my life had finally begun. Do you know that? Do you know the righteousness of God like that? Do you understand the righteousness of God like that? Here's the thing. Here's what lies at the heart of Christianity. The gospel is news, as we have already said. And it is the news that God is redeeming every square inch of creation back to Himself, which runs right down to the middle of every man, child, and woman, woman and child's hearts through what He has done in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So what lies at the center of this good news is a man dying and raising again from the dead. That's what lies at the heart of it. But what happens is this. Jesus wants us to... I mean, Paul wants us to see that what happens in the gospel, the news, is that God's righteousness is given to us. Think about it like this. I'm going to draw two comparing illustrations here. One, let's imagine that you have... We'll stick with a billion dollars. Let's say that you have a billion dollar debt and you roll up into Citibank and you're like, Mr. Loan Officer, this is crazy. I, I'm never going to be able to pay this thing back. I mean, I am, I'm straight screwed. Uh, I don't have the money. I cannot pay it back. And I'm asking you to please forgive this debt. He pulls out his papers. He goes, yeah, that's cool. All right, great. Yeah, it's, the debt's forgiven. The debt is forgiven. You can go. Now, here's the deal. A lot of us think that Christianity is like that, right? That we have this infinite debt and God forgives it. And you know what? That's true. But here's the problem. How much money do you have when you walk out of the bank? Zero. You don't have jack squat. And here's the reality. Most of us think of Christianity like that. That you're believing in a half gospel. That God just sort of wipes the slate clean. And here's the problem. We need more than a clean slate. Let me give you the second illustration. What the gospel teaches us is not only is our debt, is our debt canceled, but there's a man named Jesus who has infinite wealth, has infinite riches. And for every dollar you spend, two get put back in it. Something like that, right? And the deal is, 
is that on the cross, not only is your debt forgiven, but your account is credited with the righteousness of Christ. Such that when God looks at you, He sees the finished work of Jesus. And when God looks at you, the smile that He gives to Jesus when He says, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased, He now looks at you. And He says, this is my Son. This is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. Y'all, if you are in Christ tonight, do you believe that you have the smile of God? That He delights in you? That the Scriptures say that you are the apple of His eye? That He sings melodies over you? The prophet Zephaniah tells us. That is what is true of you this very moment. I'll put it as simple as this. If you are in Christ tonight, everything is perfect between you and God. That ought, that ought to do something to you. And here's the thing. If you're not a Christian tonight, everything that I'm talking about is what Christianity teaches. It's what is central. And this is what I want you all to see. In RUF, I want you all to begin to see that what lies at our core is a gospel centrality. That everything that we do emanates from what we're talking about here tonight. And what I hope that you'll begin to know about this is that this is a place for you. Again, Christ gives us His righteousness. He takes our sin. The Apostle Paul put it this way in a sister text. Look what he says. He says this, that for our sake, He made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So when Romans, back to our text, says that the righteousness of God has been revealed in the gospel, this is what he's getting at, that there's a righteousness that has been given. And let me say this, when you see that to be true of you, the doors of paradise are opened and everything changes. Your life is different. That's what's true of you. I hope that you'll believe that. If not, you can take it right now in this moment. That's, that's the idea there. Well, listen, I need to keep moving. So um, I'm a little bit lost where I'm at. I'm getting all excited, da, 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 whatever. But let's take us into our third point. Because the gospel not only is something, it actually does something too. The gospel does something. Thirdly and lastly, let's take a look at what the gospel itself does. Paul tells us primarily that it changes and empowers us. That it changes and empowers us. In other words, this news, if you'll notice it there, did you see it there? He says this, verse 16, For it, gospel, is the power of God for salvation. That There is supernatural power in this gospel message to actually take dead men and women and bring them to life. To do, to do that spiritually. You see, a lot of people, a lot of people think, you know, um, you know, Ryan, before I became a Christian, I was just sort of, I'm just, I was just sort of an okay person. And everything was alright, and I just needed a little bit of help. And I'm going to tell you, look, that is not what Christianity teaches. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says this, that you and I were dead. You were dead in our trespasses. And what that means is, is the image is not like we were floating around in the ocean and we needed a life preserver kind of thrown to us. If we're dead, where are we? 
We're on the bottom of the ocean floor. And what the gospel tells us is that Jesus reaches down, pulls us up off, pulls our dead, lifeless body off the bottom of the ocean floor and gives us new life. That's exactly what the gospel is about. It has power. It has power to make insiders, outsiders, insiders. But also, did you see this as well? I want you to see that Paul tells us that the gospel also empowers for the work of mission, for the work of of spreading this wonderful gospel to others. Think about this. He says this. He says, I want to come to you. I want to come to you, Rome. I want to come and to share uh, my faith with you and yours with me that we might be mutually encouraged. That is what Paul is trying to get at in these earlier verses from verses 8 uh, through 11. And here's what I want you to see. What that means is this. Paul is writing to tell the gospel to Christians in Rome. That will strike you. Because most of us think that the gospel is something that we need at the beginning of our Christian lives. Does that make sense? We think, oh yeah, gospel, yeah. That's sort of the first sort of things. It's the ABCs of the faith. I mean, you just sort of get into it, you believe the gospel, then you get on with life. And what Paul is saying is this. No, you need the news that Christ, what Christ has done for you for the entirety of your life. That you need it for every waking hour if you are a Christian. Let me, let me explain to you what I mean. Let's say, how many, don't raise your hand, I'm just going to tell my own story here. How many of y'all are like approval addicts? That you are people pleasers through the core and that the approval of your friends is what you need. Okay, look, I didn't say raise your hand. That is me. How does the gospel help me in a moment like that? Watch this, watch this. Right now, here we are in this room. I have been praying for this moment for a year. Does that make sense? Like all summer long, I mean, I've been excited about this first night. And I am nervous. I'm like, are people going to show up? You know, am I going to feel insecure and crazy because people are not showing up? Right? Because what's, what's funny is that I'm 38 years old. In every first week of the semester, here's what I think. That 18 to 22-year-olds, y'all make or break my Wednesday night. Now something's wrong with that. That's crazy that I would live like that. So what do I have to do? I have to go back to the gospel and say, I've got the smile of my heavenly father. 18 to 22 year olds, they don't matter anymore. I mean, they do. You know what I mean? Their approval doesn't. Does that make sense? Y'all see where I'm going with that? And that's just with approval. And I need that every day of my life. And some of y'all need it. See, see, think about it like this. Some of y'all don't know what to do with the fact with your singleness right now. You don't. You don't know what to do with the fact that you long to be in a relationship and you're not. Because you think that your life is finally going to be complete if you can get some pimply-faced boy to go out with you. And what I'm telling you is this. If you do not understand the gospel, right? If you don't understand the gospel, Jesus is going to continue to lose out to pimply-faced kids. Think about that. That's the way that this gospel is needed at every turn. And that's just two examples of a long litany of where we could go. Y'all, here's what I want to invite you to. I want you to come back and I want you to see all semester long how this gospel plays out in all areas of life. We are going to learn a ton about the news that changes everything. Because when the gospel comes home to you, everything is changed. 
Who you are, how you view yourself, how you view the world around you, the way you do your studies, the way you think about your future, the way you think about death. Everything changes because of this news. Does that make sense? Y'all, I'm, I'm going to close with one story. There was an old preacher. His name is Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he, he used to tell the story that um, when a king goes into battle against an invading army to defend his land, if the king defeats the army, he sends back messengers to the capital. They go back and with great joy they say, the enemy has been defeated and all has been done. Let us rejoice and live in the peace that has been achieved for us. But if the king doesn't defeat the invading army and the enemy breaks through the lines, the king sends messengers back to the capital and says this, put archers on the wall, raise the drawbridge, make provisions. You have to fight for your lives because they're coming. And Lloyd-Jones says this, that every other religion except Christianity sends advisors back to the city saying this, If you want to achieve salvation, you have to fight for your lives. The gospel is utterly unique. It sets us free from moral performance to rest in the work of another. I love this story. All of y'all who are dealing with multiple religions right now in your classes and everything, this is is utterly incredible. A great religious leader, the Buddha, Buddha, said just before he died, he uttered these last words. This is my last advice to you. Work hard to gain your salvation. But there was another, there was another man who uttered something else, right? And you remember what his last words were? It is finished. It is finished. Y'all, that's the gospel. That Christ has done everything. And that He has done everything to bring you home to God. And when that begins to sink down into your heart, when that begins to sink down in your bones, well, it changes everything. Let's pray.